0: Okay, so good morning. morning. Uh, How are you? Good, good, good. I see that the band brought like the A team this morning. Hello. Uh, Sarah and Jill on the stage together. Holy cow, you guys, so good. Joey's not bad either. Uh, In case you haven't figured this out, um, I'm Jason Coker. I'm also one of the co-ministers here alongside Janelle. And in case you haven't figured this out, Janelle and I often do things very differently. Never in a million years will you find me standing up here inviting you to be silent for two minutes because that would require me to be silent (laughs) for two minutes. That's just not how I do things. Uh, And uh, this has always been true of us, and if you uh, have a significant other, if you have a partner, this is probably true for you as well. You and your partner are, newsflash, different people. Uh, Janelle and I recently were talking in our backyard. We were sitting just having coffee, and I was processing with her a decision that like I'm having to make. Uh, this is not a life and death decision. This is not like an, a crisis. It's not urgent. It has to do with school. It has to do with my research question. It has to do with the fact that my professors will not stop critiquing the way that I've articulated my research question. This is uh, endlessly annoying to me. Yeah. And Janelle, as I was talking this through with her, Janelle said to me, you know, I just want to suggest the possibility that you might sit with this question for a moment and get quiet and then ask yourself how is this sitting in your body and i was like what does that have to do with anything <laughs> and her and i had this whole like conversation about like how to discern how something is sitting with you and discerning how your body is speaking to you about what possible futures might be. Janelle is a great help and annoyance to me in these moments (laughs) because her and I just don't always see things the same way. When Janelle and I first got together, uh, Janelle's mother was fond of referring to us as the Bickertons because Janelle and I have never encountered a decision that we didn't find a way to argue about. And Janelle and I love to argue and debate the finer nuances of every possible decision. We're like artists painting with opinions on the other side of those perspectives all the time. This, I think, is an amazing gift. This is an amazing gift that I have a partner who is willing to speak the truth to me at any time and open me up to new ways of seeing things. And for the better part of 35 years, I have endeavored to colonize her opinions with the right answers (laughs) to everything. And she has graciously helped me to see that there are other ways of being in the world. And so we are unified. We are unified, but we are not the same. We are not uniform. Okay, so now you know where this is going. Let's take a look at the text. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4 today. We have been, for those of you who have not been hanging around and you don't know, we have been in a series that I've been calling uh, Resurrected Women, looking at different women in the New Testament who represent the resurrection of Of Christ who are stepping into their authority as leaders and we're looking at clues in the text oftentimes clues that are scant and difficult to find because women are often erased from the text their leadership authority is often obscured and hidden by the text because this is of course a text written during a culture that was highly patriarchal even more so than our own We find another one of these texts in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. I want to read that to you today and then share with you what I'm noticing about this and then invite you to do the same. Before we do that, would you just take a moment to pray with me? God, we thank you for today, for this opportunity for us to gather, to read uh, from this passage of Scripture, to open our hearts and our minds, to be stirred up by it, to have your goodness and your grace enter in to our rigid ways of thinking and seeing and being in the world. We ask that your grace would bring us joy and liberation today. We pray all this in Jesus' name, Amen. Philippians chapter four, verses two through three. I'll back it up a little bit. We'll start there at verse one. Paul says therefore my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way my beloved and then we jump here into verse 2 which you see he says I urge you Odia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord we're going to pause right there I urge you Odia and I urge Syntyche To be of the same mind in the Lord. These are women's names in the ancient Near Eastern world. These are two women in the Philippian church who apparently are in some kind of argument, some sort of disagreement with each other. It's important to know, I think, that prior to this passage, Paul has spent the majority of his time in Philippians. This is a short New Testament letter. He spent the majority of his time urging his listeners in the Philippian church to be humble. To be there for each other in ways that don't serve the self, but serve other people. And he constructs this amazing theological construct back in Philippians 2, where he likens our relationship with each other to Christ's relationship with us, when Christ literally emptied himself of all of his divinity in order to become a human. And that act of emptying himself that we now refer to as kenosis, because that's the word that's used in the Greek, that self-emptying act becomes the characteristic posture that we take with each other. We release ourselves of all of our power to be there for each other. This, for Paul, becomes the quintessential Christian act of love. It is to become weak so that others might become strong. Or to borrow his language from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, is to become poor so that the other might become rich. And it's at the end of this long appeal, this even poetic appeal for us to be there for each other, not for ourselves, that he hinges here in verse 2, I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. This is a pretty radical switch over here in chapter 4. From a long extended theological discourse, he moves immediately as though this is the conclusion of the letter. In fact, maybe even the whole point of the letter. That there is a quarrel in the early Philippian church that's causing problems. Now what that implies is that Iodia and Syntyche were deeply important people in that early church Likely even leaders Now I want to put that forth to you because of course they're not called leaders and in the history of the church this argument between Iodia and Syntyche tends to be sort of dismissed as two pesky quarrelsome women who are stirring up trouble in the early church. In fact, that is what we tend to do with women who have disagreements, as we tend to say that they are quarreling or bickering or fighting in a way that marginalizes who they are and what their influence is. But this is a bit of a puzzle because conflict is common in scripture. And especially in the New Testament, Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians and Paul himself quarreled viciously with Peter. We see this in Galatians chapter two, where he calls Peter out in front of the entire Galatian church. And then he writes about it later in a letter to them and calls Peter a hypocrite because Peter won't eat with Gentiles. Paul is furious about this and has an open conflict with Peter about it. Later, Paul himself also breaks company with his missionary companion, Barnabas. We see this in Acts chapter 15, where Paul and Barnabas have a conflict over Mark, because Paul doesn't think he can trust Mark, but Barnabas thinks he can trust Mark, and their disagreement is so severe that Paul and Barnabas decide to split company. Barnabas goes with Mark instead. So this kind of conflict, this disagreement, is is a very common occurrence in the New Testament. Also, Jesus himself, I don't know if you've noticed, tends to have conflicts and disagreements all the time with fellow religious leaders. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, if you're in my how not to read the Bible class, you're going to get this ad nauseum. I apologize in advance. But Matthew chapter 5, we see Jesus's six antitheses. We're six times in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, you have heard it said this, but I say that where Jesus is directly confronting teachings about the law and about scripture that he disagrees with. You have heard it said this, but I say to you that he does this six times. this, of course, is not the only time Jesus engages in conflict and disagreement. Jesus is constantly using rhetorical devices in his ministry to surface disagreements so that he can address them. When men do this, it's called leadership. When women do this, it's called division, quarreling, gossip. Again, I want to suggest to you that even with scripture, there is a kind of patriarchal, misogynistic lens that gets layered over the text. Oftentimes, it is written into the text. Sometimes it's applied later by editors who simply change the name of characters like we saw with Junia last week. And sometimes it's just the lens that we bring. We come to the text seeing men in a certain way and women in a certain way and read those things into it. But make no mistake, Paul's prominent featuring of Yodia. And Syntyche is very likely an indication that they were highly influential leaders in the early Philippian church. And it should not surprise us that two leaders in the early church should be in conflict because not only is conflict common in the New Testament and the Hebrew Bible, but conflict is, and I know that we don't like this, but conflict is essential to a life of faith. And the reason is because faith itself is a discourse. It is a process by which we are trying to figure out what is good and right and true. In faith, we are asking the biggest questions of all. Why are we here? Why do we exist? What does it mean for something to be good? What does it mean for something to be godly? What does it mean for me to be righteous? How am I supposed to live with the neighbor who drives me crazy because his shed is built a little too close to my wall? What do I do with my partner or my spouse who just refuses to see that I am right How do I live in a world that marginalizes me or oppresses me because of my socioeconomic status or the color of my skin or my sexuality? How do I live in relationship to a world that seems insistent upon criminalizing the poor and the homeless? How am I a person of faith who votes and engages and civic dialogue. All of these are the biggest possible questions that we can ask about life in the world, and we are bound to disagree about these questions. Faith is a posture of discourse. And by that, what I mean is that it is a back and forth dialogue and disagreement about not only the answers to these questions, but the questions themselves. And not only do we disagree about these questions and these answers, but that disagreement, that discourse, is not just something we bring to the Bible, it is built into the Bible. The authors of the Bible are in disagreement with each other all the time about the questions and the answers. When we see that disagreement, we're not supposed to iron over it like we're ironing our pants before we go to work in the morning. We are supposed to learn from the disagreement how to engage in disagreement. You're supposed to learn from it how to become people who discern what's true in the midst of conflict. That's what scripture has to teach us. My favorite example of this is Job, at chapter 32, 33, 34, and 35, where you know the text of Job, which is arguably the oldest text in scripture, and a text that the ancient Hebrews borrowed from ancient Mesopotamia, right? So they borrowed this text, tweaked it, adjusted the story to fit their culture, changed it quite a bit in order to fit their culture. And then this ancient text later, as an editor, was writing it out and copying it out, decided that the editor disagreed with the other two voices in the text of Job. So he or she simply inserted several new chapters with a third argument. Now, if that's not church, I don't know what is. If you want to see disagreement, join Tina and I for lunch someday. And if you want to see what it looks like for, you know, a third party to interject their unwelcome opinion, just, you know, join us with Elion, who has a magnificent opinion about everything. This, this is what church is like. And we tend to run from this. We tend to run from the discourse. We tend to run for the disagreement. We tend to embrace doctrines and dogma and rules instead because rules and doctrine and dogma give us the illusion of unity, the illusion of peace. We all come and pretend to believe the same thing and we call that faith. But that's not faith. That's just hypocrisy. Instead, we come here and we learn to create a safe space where we can disagree about the biggest questions of life, where we can give each other the space to engage in a genuine partnership around our common journey towards the truth. In the ancient Hebrew tradition, and this is still true today, when young Jewish students are learning to read scripture together, they are put into groups, sometimes pairs, like dyads or triads, sometimes three, and those students become chavruta to each other, which is this Jewish word that refers to people who contend with each other to discover the truth. They will often disagree vehemently, often take completely different views of God and scripture and argue with each other about it endlessly, loudly, personally, until they come to a place where they feel like they have discovered the truth together. That word chavruta means friendship. For many of us, friendship is such a superficial concept It's where we pretend to all believe and think and vote and act and love the same way. But genuine friendship is when we are there for each other in our truest selves, where we accept each other in spite of that, where we're willing to contend with each other, to sharpen each other. That requires a level of safety that we sometimes very find very hard to produce. This relationship that sometimes is referred to in the Hebrew tradition as chavruta is something that we find a little uncomfortable. Not always willing to engage in that level of vulnerability, but I think that's what we see happening here with Yodia and Sintiki, I think that they are chavruta to each other. I think that they are chavruta to their church. But there's always a danger in conflict and discourse and disagreement that we get stuck in the disagreement. And so if our relationship to each other and to God is like a kind of discourse, a kind of back and forth rhythm of agreeing and disagreeing, of agreeing on what the questions are and then debating about what the answers are and then taking some of those answers out into the world and testing them out to see how they work and then bringing them back and disagreeing about whether or not it worked and what we should do next, like that whole back and forth rhythm of Theorizing and experimenting and then reflecting and then theorizing and then experimenting and then reflecting. Like, this is the praxis of faith. It's a, it's a rhythm like breathing. We can't be in conflict all the time. But we can't just be at peace and at rest and pretending to agree all the time either. We need that in-out rhythm of breathing or work and rest, I think that when we sometimes get stuck in the differences of opinion, it's a little bit like we've stopped breathing and we're holding our breath. And what we need to do is exhale Mm -hmm. and rest. Set the disagreement aside for a while. Learn to be at peace. And I think that what's happened with Yodia and Syntyche is that they are holding their breath. There's a bit of a mystery in this passage, by the way, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, I urge Yodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And then next verse, yes. And I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women. For they've struggled beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So, first of all there in verse 3, you see Paul elevating the role of these two women. They've worked beside him in the gospel. Another indication that they are likely prominent leaders in this church, but we see something else that has been a bit of a debate for literally 2,000 years. Who is this loyal companion? Paul says, I I urge you, my loyal companion, to help these two women to settle their differences. They've held their breath long enough. It's time for them to exhale. Can you help them find rest in this disagreement? Throughout the history of the church, there's been some debate, appropriately so, about who this loyal companion is. Some say that it is the husband of one of these women. (laughs) as if any husband ever (laughs) was going to wade into a disagreement and actually be helpful. That feels like a bit of a patriarchal lens to begin with. Others think that this is Luke, Luke who wrote uh, Luke and Acts, who was Paul's companion on the trip to Philippi. Others think that Paul is referring here to kind of the second-person version of this whole body in Philippi. I urge you, my loyal companion, those of you who are a part of the Philippian church, to help these two women to come together. But what if, and this is where I break with all orthodoxy, FYI, what if Paul is referring to a different companion entirely? Jesus says in John chapter 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him because he abides in you and will be in you. Later he says, I have said these things to you while I'm with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Later in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and brings unity amidst diversity as the Spirit is poured out on all people on the day of Pentecost, which is coming. What if Paul, who is so fond of naming names in every single letter, doesn't name a name in Philippians chapter four because he is referring to that ultimate, mysterious, loyal companion who comes between us when we are stuck in disagreement. The Spirit of God who brings us together in spite of our differences, the Spirit of God who is poured out on us in such a way that God's own grace becomes the mediator between our different perspectives. Listen to Paul's words right after this passage. It's not gonna be on the screen, I'll just read it to you. Listen to Paul's words immediately after he appeals to his loyal companion. And ask yourself, does this sound like a person? Or does this sound like the Spirit of God? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is asking his hearers to respond to disagreement, to respond to being stuck, by rejoicing, by giving thanks in gratitude for all the good that they have. And in that place of rejoicing, they will find a kind of peace that they never knew. He gives a little clue about how to do this, by the way, in maybe Janelle's favorite verse in the Bible. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What if, when we do that, when we think about goodness and truth and beauty, when we think about excellence, When we think about rejoicing and gratitude, that's exactly when the Spirit of God comes and fills us and settles our differences. Probably not for good, but at least gives us the humility to know that it's really not about us. That We can set aside our differences for a time and come back to it again later. Contend a little bit more until we get closer to the truth. This is not a male thing, it's not a female thing, it's a Holy Spirit thing. And the Spirit of God works through each of us, whatever your age, whatever your gender, whatever your economic status, whatever your race, whatever your sexuality. What I have learned is that there is no human being on the planet who cannot be a vessel for God's spirit. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for today, this opportunity for us to explore these passages that feature prominent women in scripture who are leading the way demonstrate that your spirit is poured out on all flesh regardless of our differences and that your spirit brings us into a place of unity not uniformity it's my prayer God that as we would draw closer to you that you would teach us that lesson that we would learn that in order to be together in order to be in friendship Order to be in love, we do not have to be the same. That you are found in those spaces of difference between us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: So here are the announcements. Uh, you can volunteer this coming Friday. Uh, the day, we, wow, that's. The day before Memorial Day weekend kicks off. With Brother Benos in Oceanside, it's May 26th in the morning. You'll be serving breakfast to the marginalized, to those uh, who need not only food, but to be recognized by someone as an equal right there as you serve them. You think about what would Jesus do? Well, it's pretty safe to assume that, you know, given the opportunity, he'd be serving breakfast to them as well. So if you'd like to get involved, is it Virginia that? Victoria my apologies heads that up six in the morning. It starts at right. 6 a.m. So it's early so it just means setting the alarm a little earlier and not you know getting too much in the way of your work day to follow So that's great. So you can uh, obviously sign up uh, at the uh, at this at the website or just ask anybody here um, how to how to make that part of your day and uh, June is what a week and a half away. It is pride month and uh, Pride Sunday at OSC is June 4th. It's the first uh, Sunday in June, and there's a couple of ways for you to engage. Um, one is with the book club, and the next one meets on June 1st at 6:30. It's a Zoom meeting, and uh, the June book will be Trailblazer by Marianne Horton. That was chosen in honor of Pride Month. Trailblazer is a memoir that recounts the author's search for her true self and reveals. intimate details of her transition from male to female. The author is Mary Ann Horton and she will be part of the Zoom so it's a great way to kick off uh, book club with that Um, and you can uh, basically sign up on the OSC site. You can volunteer with the uh, OSC Queer Committee at Pride by the Beach. I got this uh, direct mail uh, for this event, Pride by the Beach, here in Oceanside. And I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we were involved? Well, these guys don't miss a trick. We're involved. We will be there. And it is the 3rd of uh, June, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. We'll have a booth close to the the church at Pride by the Beach. And looking for volunteers to help set that up in the morning, to man the booth. Um, That would be terrific. It should be a great day on the beach. And uh, third, uh, processing religious trauma class. It's a six week class starting Wednesday, June 7th, 6.30 p.m. And this class is for those who have experienced any kind of emotional, physical, or spiritual hurt. It's a healing class uh, and um, getting awareness out and healing is, is a big part of that process. To RSVP for any of these, Oceansidesanctuary.org/slash calendar. Uh, and if you're new to OSC, um, you can find a connect card in the back of the pews. You should fill it out, please, and just drop it right there in the, in the box by the door or hand it to anyone. Um, speaking of the box by the door, that's a great way to give if you'd like to drop a check or cash. Uh, this is a 501c3 nonprofit and it it relies on all of us. Um, uh, An easier way to give is monthly, and you can do that on the website.